What's up, everyone, and welcome back to a long overdue episode of Bored and Nerdy. We have lives that have forced us to adults. As always, I am your host, Estan the Legend, alongside the beautiful gray-haired man. Hey, it's Dale. Hey. Hey, Dale. I'm Dale. What's up? You know, Dale, it, it's it's been it's been far too long, man. We've had a couple good chit chat through either your stream or my stream, like with one of us in chat. But it's been just far too long since we've sat down and just talked life, man. And I'm, I'm very happy to see you. I'm very happy to have conversations about ner- about nerdy shit with you right now. Now I feel uh, that. Wow. I just got distracted, guys. So Dale has shiny lights behind him, and all I could think of right now is like the the souls flowing around. Like I'm waiting for Yuna to come in and start sending mm. souls behind Dale right God, now. What a, I know I know oh. we've talked about it before, but that's still like one of my favorite like game cutscenes. So good, oh, so good, so so, so good. Oh. You know, I was uh, watching a guy in the YouTube rabbit hole today. And he was doing um, the promise from 13 on a saxophone. Yeah. And did you see that too? Uh, was it Reggie something? I don't know. Listen, I was doing that thing where I was like, recommended YouTube videos. And then mm. three hours later, I was like, I forgot why I actually was on YouTube. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert. It was to upload a video for my classes I'm teaching tomorrow. Ooh, that's kind um, of important. But yeah. You know, <laughs> Nah, not as important as some dude playing uh, The Promise from Final Fantasy Thirteen on the saxophone. Uh, uh, but it was dope, dude. Yeah, I was into it. Yeah, let me see if I can look it up on my end. Um, yeah, Reggie Page. Um, I saw, is it like of this guy uh, in a classroom um, playing yeah, it solo? Yeah, it was yep. like a... Yep. It was like a classroom or a locker room or something. It's, it's definitely a school room situation. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. That was really really good ah oh, man dude also this is a weird thing and something that's gonna make my editing life really awesome i'm sitting here watching uh my my voice go up and down you know in the recording waves here and i think my mic is cycling through power because sometimes it's captured my voice with entirely too much gain and then other times it looks like it's barely registering at all. So oh. I really can't wait to to edit all this. Uh, I'm probably overdue for a um, a rework of my sound system, or just to double check or make sure all the wires are good. Yep. The cats love chewing on these things. Yo, weird thing just happened, man. As we just started, Spoo DM'd me. Oh, remember that guy? I do remember that guy. Wow. I can't check it because that'll take your beautiful face away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Dale, man, it's been a minute. What? What? So we had my brother-in-law got married on Saturday. The Saturday before that, I believe I was in Salem, Massachusetts, hunting witches. Dude, that sounds like fun. Um, Spoopy, dude. It's a great time. I'll tell you what, man. I went up there the first time. Because Halloween, I would go to that town any day of the year. It's just a cool, like, if you're a foodie or a hipster, it's a good year round town. It's right on the water. It's beautiful. 
um, a whole bunch of shops within like walking distance. There's a, a probably a four block long street that's walkers only. They've actually got to the point that um, they put up like permanent posts to make sure nobody drives down it. Really? And there's yeah, there's all these shops, man. It's it's good stuff. They also have this uh, comic book shop, Harrison's, man, and it is it's what every comic book shop aspires to be. That's really cool. Um, it, it, dude, they have collectibles in there, like. The stuff that museum quality multi thousand dollar collectibles um, with one of the imagine if you walked into a, a Barnes and Noble right, mm-hmm. but it, but instead of having like not comics, Barnes and Noble just had comics. Yeah, yeah, your face was my reaction <laughs> the first time I went in there. I'm just thinking like the uh, the library from Beauty and the Beast from Disney's Beauty and the Beast, like the old animated. Uh, film just like how big and expansive that is that's how i always kind of viewed barnes and noble yeah uh, it, so it was funny i walked up to the the counter and i was like hey do you guys have it before i finish the guy goes yes <laughs> <laughs> fair fair point sir um yeah so uh, good times and, and you know it was unfortunate because we had a couple opportunities where we were playing on re redoing an episode in life, man. But you know what? Life's sometimes a good thing. Um, so what have you been up to slash playing in the time between, you know, last time we spoke and now work, um, work, work, work has I, been I, who makes brutal. that one? Is, is that a, uh, is that a from software like kind of might as well be (laughs) (laughs) it's been we're uh my my workplace has been absolutely brutal brutally busy i've kind of gotten like the uh the short end of the stick and just stuck with everything that i dislike about my job and times 10 so it's, it's just been really rough but on the bright side i have like a 10 minute commute to work compared to like the 45 to 50 minute commute I used to have. So that's, that, that's nice. Um, as far as like what I've been playing, um, Danganronpa 2, uh, chat voted for the new game, uh, three, three weeks ago, two weeks ago. And, uh, we started up the sequel to the, uh, the, how, how, how do I describe it? <clears throat> the murder mystery battle royale high school edition there we go uh visual novel sorry if you have if you're new to the podcast and you haven't heard my ranting about danganronpa and visual novels in the past and how much i enjoyed danganronpa yes i understand those words don't seem like they belong together in the same sentence at all let alone the same mind but it works and I, uh, I definitely urge people to uh, either take a look at it, watch another playthrough uh, from the very start, from the first game forward, or uh, experience it for themselves. It's, uh, I don't know if I can say it's good, but it is certainly entertaining at the very least. I have zero love for the graphic or the visual novel genre. Um, but 
in the few times I've popped in, I have no clue what's going on. But it seems entertaining enough. To the point that I actually have a spoopy game at some point this month. I might explore if I don't fall back into the Dark Souls rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> that's a visual novel. Um, but, you know, for those that enjoy it, listen, I don't even like them. And I'm interested in it. Yeah. Um, so I think that says something. When somebody from outside the genre is considering it, or I wouldn't even say I'm outside the genre. I'm somebody that has a stance against them. And it, it piqued my interest. So it kind of sucks because there are a lot of different kinds of visual novels with varying degree of quality. Um, and a lot of, a lot of visual novels are very, uh, weeby. Um, mm. and there's, there are even more that are very, uh, uh, not safe for work and fan servicey. And I've got absolutely like no, no interest in, in any of that. Um, but you don't want to play uh high school of the dead, the visual novel. Nah, not, not, not really. Not really. <laughs> Especially if it defies gravity. No, no. Um, but I feel like there's this kind of like stigma against visual novels because of that. Like not only are they like visual novels, like what, what, what do you do? You, you see like uh digital comic panels or people's faces and portraits, like flapping it on, flashing off, flashing off, flashing off. It's, I get that it's not that appealing, but from the from the few that I've played, that I've gone through, quality has been fantastic. The art is great. The uh, and the the narratives, stellar. Um, but then I'm seeing a couple of I had a a few friends in high school who are very into the visual novel scene as well, and they uh, they 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 went through a, a couple that were less than mediocre. Um, it's, think of it like the, the comparison to like a unity asset flip, right? You buy things for like five bucks total. You flip it around and get like a hundred bucks, 300 bucks off of it. And then you never touch it again. And like, that's, that's kind of like what the, uh, comparison is. So in the time since we last spoke, I, I've, completed dark souls one which i think you were there for the completion of mm-hmm. um which oof um just a lot of oof uh a lot of very great experiences were had as well i wanted to feel like a full oof but i see why people stress so much now do not mm-hmm. play three if you plan on playing one just because of like a lot of unfair judgment that was put on one because it is an older game. Yeah. Um, and they're just, they just weren't as clean with a lot of the mechanics yet. Um, I installed two. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't, I think I'm gonna do a couple playthroughs of three before I go back to two. Uh, I don't even know if I'll ever complete two, if I'm going to be honest with you. Um, after coming back to three. Yeah. Also, uh, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine has a main line straight into my left arm right now. Oh, God. Um, It's, oh. Crazy. Absolute crazy. Guys, the the Sega collection, for those who don't know, today is uh, the 12th of October when we're recording this. It was seven bucks or something, seven fifty. 
uh, low sevens for the collection that used to be $80. And I've dabbled with a few of the uh, older titles. I was messing with Kid Chameleon, Dr. Robotnik. Um, what was the other one I played the other day? Uh, a little bit of Golden Axe. And I decided I want to just focus on one, beat it, and then and then progress through the collection that way. Um, but I think they did a great job of picking titles that really, really have held up. And when For you sure. go back, you play when you go back and play them, it's not this feeling of like I played Goldeneye last year, guys. I wish I had just left that thing in the nostalgia rear view. <laughs> I do not know how we had pinpoint accuracy with snipers in that game. The Nintendo 64 controller for a first person shooter was quite possibly the most garbage controller that's ever been created. How did we do that? I, I, I didn't have an N64 growing up. Um, I was definitely way more on the PlayStation side of the things. Um, but I would go over to uh, to family's house, and they had an N64 in the house, and I just despised the hell out of the N64 controller. It is so uncomfortable. It is so awkward to hold. I think it's one of the worst designs for a controller. I think it depends. Well, so here's the deal, right? If you're talking the base controller for an entire console, I have to agree with you. Okay. Mm-hmm. But there were certain games that it made so much damn sense. Like I think of Star Fox. I think part of the reason that Star Fox felt so good on the 64 was how much the N64 joystick kind of translated to, you know, I don't know what the proper term is for the stick that you steer an airplane with. Yep. Um, I'm sure. Sounds good. I know nothing about uh, aeronautic terms. So. Yeah, your guess is, or, or your knowledge is expert here. Um, but there's a few games where I thought it felt good. I, I like the way it works for Bomberman. Whenever anything that oh, kind Bomberman. of felt like it could, if it felt like it could be played in an arcade cabinet, that single joystick feel felt good. Anything that required the dual analogs we're used to now. Oof. Big, big oof. I just didn't like the three spike, the three prong design. It felt awkward to try to change. For games that needed the D-pad and the uh, and the analog stick, or even like just don't not even worry about the D-pad, and like it, it felt just so weird. I think of mm. one of my greatest memories of uh, of the N64 is Donkey Kong. And what was it? Just DK sixty four? I think that was that was it. Um, uh, yeah, there there was also Donkey Kong Country, which was on the sixty four, I think, or was, was that it? SNES? Uh, SNES was Country one and two. I don't know if they. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if they did anything on. There the was. Yeah, 64. there was just sixty four. Yeah, it was um, just sixty four. I just remember the DK rap from it from from the, from the beginning, honestly. Uh, but I, I remember that they had like a yellow themed N64 with the like matching, uh, controller and the ends of the controller were, were the, the, like the bottoms of bananas. And that's the only thing I can imagine what those three prongs are anymore. They're just the bottoms of bananas and they're so uncomfortable to like try to transition and switch to. I didn't have a problem with the controller. So like. 
the the original idea for the three prong as it was explained uh to me is that you were supposed to either hold it kind of like an xbox controller um remember the original xbox controllers i do how it was just like fat on the outside big and bulky or or you're supposed to have, you know, your left hand on the outside with your right hand on the middle or vice versa. There was never this intention, but it ended up happening for you to have to utilize the D-pad, the C-pad, and the analog stick, and the Z-trigger all at once. But then, you know, Zelda, um, <laughs> where, you know, uh, they it was kind of like, it. well, you know, if you have an entire keyboard, why wouldn't we have a keybind to every key? If we have an entire controller, why won't we utilize the whole thing? Um, Which, I mean, yeah, I respect that decision for sure. But it just, if that's the case, then, like, I mean, unless you want me to play with something else on that middle <laughs> stick there, you know, like, your design is just terrible. Yeah. Absolutely terrible. You know, they, they've had a couple painful designs. Uh, and one that I was never a fan of, but a lot of people swear is one of the best controllers ever was the GameCube controller. Why would you put a why would you put a hexagon cutout on something that's intended to be three hundred and sixty degrees of rotation? So they had not the C buttons, but they had the C stick, the mm-hmm. little orange or yellow stick. And I think of playing uh Mario Party on that thing. And having to swivel that stick and literally getting blisters from hitting all the all the, points. the little notches. Oh, my God. Why would you do that? So that's interesting because uh, I, I keep up with a lot of like the uh, the Nintendo Mario speedrunners and people who use the N64 controller or who use the GameCube controller or even like the Smash community. Uh, they, they swear by the, the GameCube controller. The GameCube, yeah. And... One of the the tricks they use, they have notches. They like make notches in where the uh, where the stick is, and to have like things stick to place and be at certain angles. Um, and they they swear by it. I've not experienced that personally. I don't know how uh, how how great it is or like what kind of uh, improvements or benefits it really does offer. But that's definitely something that's very very common. I think it was just more the fact that like. The 64 controller was not great for Smash. Um, the GameCube controller was better, but like they would go on to the Wii series from there, right? And I don't think I'm gonna be honest with you, including the Switch. I don't think Nintendo has a has had a good default controller other than the. GameCube, even the original, if you hold an original NES controller, you're gonna be like, wait a minute, I used to smash the buttons on this thing and it didn't break. This is the flimsiest <laughs> piece of garbage I've ever held. So I think it's like just a case of the best of the worst. When you compare the GameCube controller to everything else Nintendo's done, you know, I get that the whole idea is minimize waste, make it lightweight and, and portable. Because Nintendo has always been about bringing people together to play games. Um, I mean, that's why the GameCube had a handle on it. You were supposed to bring it places and play with your friends. But dang, can y'all just build a controller that I on the the 360 controller I use for Dark Souls. I use a 360 controller because I, I think they're pretty hardy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it it creaks and cracks in my hands because of the way I'm holding it and like the stress and the tension in my hands. I feel like if I were to hold a switch remote that same way, you know, like on the little dock where it becomes essentially an Xbox controller, I feel like I would break everything. Yeah, I don't. I, so they have the um, they have Dark Souls remastered for the Switch, uh, which unfortunately has a lot of performance issues from what I've heard, and it's not a great uh, great port. But I don't know how the controllers or how the controls would really work. I don't think there'd be a huge issue. Um, but I think that the buttons on the like normal switch, like joy cons are really small. Yeah. Um, I don't think it'd work well for that. Uh, I do have my favorite controller right now though. Um, it is the SF, uh, 30 by eight bit do, I believe it, it's modeled after the SNES controller. One of my favorite controllers ever made. And it has all the quality of life stuff that we have now. It has the, the two shoulder buttons, the two trigger buttons, and then two analog sticks. So it can play mod any modern games, but it's modeled like the uh, like the SNES controller. So if you mm. have games that don't use those, like uh, uh, emulating anything back from uh, back in the day, or like playing it on the Switch because it's Switch compatible, and you can use like use it for the uh, the NES or the SNES collections. It plays really well. And this is my go-to controller for platformers. Uh, the D-pad is one of the best things on it. Uh, I, I swear by it. I used to be a 360 controller kind of guy. I like the uh, I like the Xbox One controller too, but it's basically just yeah, a sure. better version of the there's, 360 Yeah, they're the same. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. My favorite thing about the, the Xbox 360 One has... I was just going to say, doesn't the Xbox One controller have like a little more weight to it? Which can it, sometimes it be probably does. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure it does. Um, but my favorite thing about the 360 controller or the 360-esque design controllers, the analog placement. Like, I cannot stand the DualShock controller or the, the Sony PlayStation controller. For whatever reason, the little, like, bars that come down for your hands to rest on with the analog placement just bothers me. Uh, it doesn't... It feels fine. I don't think it's the worst thing out there. N64 looking at you, or Dreamcast <laughs> looking at you, or OG Xbox controller looking at you, or any like the godforsaken um, like OG uh, uh, PC controllers from like back in the 90s or late 80s. Those were a whole beast. But it just I don't know. It feels weird. And the the 8-bit do controller that I have. Uh, it has the like the two centered analog sticks. It's not offset like the 360, but because there aren't the bars that fall off, it it feels fine. I, I don't I don't have an issue with it. Uh, something I've never really understood about Sony when it comes to their controllers. People have been complaining about the placement of the analog sticks since pretty much PlayStation Two. Right. In PS1, it was like nobody else was really doing that. So we were okay with it because there was nothing to to really compare it to. Sure. In PlayStation 2, at the tail end, we start to see um, Xbox is a thing. Uh, Dreamcast took their crack at it. 
you know, other consoles have come out and said, hey, we could do analog sticks as well. Dual analog sticks. So PlayStation 3 comes around, no fixes. PlayStation 4 comes around, no fixes. The analog sticks Mm -hmm. in every model I've seen are in the exact same spot in PlayStation 5. When are we going to get the staggered model? You know, something that I used to hate, but I look at now with current technology and go, why can't we do this? So back in the days where I used to get paid to play video games, Mad Cats sponsored us. And when we went places to play, we had to use their tournament edition or pro edition. I forgot what it was called. Xbox controllers. And they used to have like where all your uh, imagine if the X, Y, B, A, whatever they call those, the the symbol buttons up there, the face buttons, uh, the face buttons. Imagine if there was a giant circle around that and you could just with your fingernails, grab it and pull it off. And the exact same size uh, hole was down where the D pad is. And then the analog sticks could come out as well. And they had little spacers to make it so that you could put any of the parts in any of the gaps. And they just had these magnetic connectors at the bottom that would connect it back to, um, you know, the, the receivers on the actual controller. So like you could set up your controller. However you technically, if you want to, you could have both analog sticks on the same side. Um, which I was originally like, why would anybody ever do that? I actually started using it in some fighting games. Um, really? Like three di- like three dimensional fighting games. Huh. Uh, like some of the early Mortal Kombat games that started going 3D. Uh, one to rotate the camera, the other one to move my character. And then I kind of started treating it like um, uh, almost like a, a joystick, like a, a fight pad or whatever they call those that the Street Fighter guys use. I don't know why words are so hard today. Fight stick. Um, fight stick. There we go. Not fight pad, mm-hmm. fight stick. You know, I always treat it like that, but instead of holding one stick with my uh, index finger and thumb, I'd have an index finger on my character stick, um, my middle finger on the camera stick, and then the other hand would be doing D-pad and uh, face buttons. Interesting. Um, Hmm. And it worked, dude. But the one issue I had with it is sometimes in the heat of the moment, because I like to bend controllers in half, the magnetic connection would it, it would lift a little bit so you get like these dead spots mm-hmm. you go like flick somebody with a snipe and you knock the the connection loose but i feel like with bluetooth and things of that nature today you know there's probably workarounds that they have where they could offer that they just give you kind of the foundational controller you could plug the pieces in where you would like them to go the interchangeable uh, options were kind of nice and fun to mess around with. Yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely imagine that being a pretty good experience. What is that Wii controller that's behind you there? I've literally never seen that. Which one? There's one over your. Well, it's over your mic stand. I was about to say your left. Um, it's above the Xbox, below the Sega. Actually, the Sega Saturn, because that's the six button Sega controller. Oh. Uh, I think that was the Wii U Pro Controller. See, that's the thing. is like Wii has done... Uh, not Wii. Nintendo has done um, a couple controllers. Like the 
the Switch Pro Elite or whatever it's called is mm-hmm. actually not a bad controller. No, no, but it's, sixty bucks. It's very, I don't know. It's very standard. Like it's modeled after the your traditional like DualShock controller. It's it's not the worst, but like, why didn't you have that? The come with it. You know what I mean? Like, I get the idea of the Joy Cons because you're you're trying to promote mobile while also making it a home console. Mm-hmm. But, dude, like, there's nobody out there that could tell me the first time they flicked one of those analog sticks to smash, you didn't think you were about to break it. Like, I am still afraid to use my full reactions for uh, playing any game on the Switch. Those things feel like... It reminds me of um, when you used to buy G.I. Joe's. A lot. I'm aging myself here. Oh, no. I think I know what's Um, going on. (laughs) When you used to buy G.I. Joe's, all their guns and equipment came on a little... uh, Oh, my God. I used to know the name of it. I'm looking at a whole bunch of them right now. Uh, I have a Warhammer set over here that's three-quarters of the way done. Sprigs, I think they're called. I think they're called Sprigs. So it's it's a plastic holder that has these tiny little plastic arms that come in. It holds the gun or the backpack or the whatever that you would put on your G.I. Joe in place. And you have to pop them out of the Sprigs. I feel like the plastic that held the gun into the Sprig was sturdier than the analog sticks on a Switch controller. And that's like a genuine feeling I have about it. Yeah, I I can't say that I've experienced that. Uh, I think I'm definitely a little more um, light-handed. When when, when you hold controllers, do you hold them like with your palms or your fingertips? When I hold the controller? Yeah. Uh, Actually, it depends on the game I'm playing. Um, so usually, hold on, let me hold this real quick. Let me see. Usually the, I don't know how you, it, we're talking heads. Um, I usually put like the nub in like the, the bottom part here, the little wing of it directly into the center of my palm on each hand. So I'm kind of holding it. I'm going to make myself bigger so you can see this. For those of you who are watching at home, you're missing the, the example here. So I, I kind of have it like this, and then I wrap my hands around it. So it's in my palms, like yeah, and then I I hold it like like yeah, yes, right. So <laughs> oh, I can have all my I can have all my fingers off of the controller, and for those that are watching live, um, I'm still holding the controller no problem. Like I could. I could do this with it. And there's times, I, yo, I just realized something I do. I could feel it right now. Now I'm really focusing on it. My left hand, because this is usually the one I put priority triggers on. Because uh, as a right-handed person, I like holding um, the precision, usually the look around with my right hand. Um, so the left hand focuses on primary triggers. I have a tendency to torque the controller. So my left hand is pushing down and forward while my right hand, because it's usually on the analog stick heavy is coming up and back towards me. Hmm. I'm like twisting. I'm going to break a freaking controller one of these days, dude. I'm amazed. I haven't already, (laughs) 
for those of you who know, you know I am one salty human being, and I treat my controllers accordingly. So I ask because I I tend to just use my uh, my fingertips when I'm holding a controller. Uh, I don't go really heavy handed on it. Um, like my uh, my my hands tend to like, or my palms, the top of my hands, whatever, tend to stay off of the controller itself. And I, I I've played a lot of Dark Souls. I've developed <laughs> a like love for the uh, for the uh, for the claw grip, and so it it becomes really easy to uh, just um, uh, 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 cycle into whatever like whatever way I need to hold it. Uh, so like. I, I think that translates even to what I'm holding, we'll say, the, the Joy-Cons here, where my entire hand doesn't need to be on it. They're, they're small enough that I can, like, hold them, whatever, but the, the bulk of the weight isn't made up by my palm. And I just, like, move whatever. It's, it's, it, 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 flick it, whatever, move it, bop it, twist it, whatever. I would like to know, um, I, I would like to know. If there's so, I think it's because so much of my gaming history is based in highly competitive games, right? Whereas a lot of what you enjoy doing is it's competitive, but in a different way, right? You're mm -hmm. single player pushing yourself against time limits and challenges and things of that nature. Whereas it, for me, it's closer to sports where it's me and you in this moment with X amount of time or a score limit. And there becomes a lot more pressure and therefore a lot more adrenaline and testosterone involved in the co the competition aspect of it. So I would like to take a look at around like gaming communities in general and, and see if there's a correlation between the genre of game you play and the way you hold, not only the way you hold your controller, but how much force you use when holding the controller. Because there's times where I'll get done with like a tough boss fight at Dark Souls. I put the controller down. I look down and my knuckles are white. Because mm, you're gripping it so hard. Because I'm gripping it so hard. Because like, yep. I've got to fucking win. I, You know, Dale, you know me. I've got to win. <laughs> I've got to fucking win. I just feel like that's... uh that's got something to do with it. And it's, it's weird guys. This was not the topic at all. We were going to discuss today. I don't remember this. Welcome to board of nerdy on a tangent where we spend 40 minutes talking about, uh, controllers and the way we hold them. But I think it's, I think it's kind of interesting. You know, I just realized this isn't a 360 controller at all that I'm using. Hmm. Uh, cause that's a 360 controller behind you on the left. Um, and the D pad on this one is clear cut. It, it's not, it doesn't have the, uh, the 45 degree angle still on it. I'm pretty sure this is an Xbox one controller because the, uh, start button and the, uh, select button are the box and the, the three lines. I wouldn't know that guys. Oh, Cause yeah. I spent a great, I spent a grand total of 14 hours on my Xbox one before I sold it. And I wow. had it for five years. <laughs> oh, wow. I had it from launch, dude. I got it the week of launch. I played about three hours of uh, Call of Duty Ghost. I decided that it was hot garbage. Um, it, it was. There was not a single good Call of Duty on Xbox One. I will fight you if you'd like. Um, and there was nothing else really for me to play. Everything that I wanted to play was on the PC. So 
I kept the controller when I sold the console. I got full price for the console. Not full price, but like they they bought it at the maximum rebuy price. Uh, and they didn't charge me for there not being a controller in there. So Yeah, that's nice. That's a pretty good like return of investment. Right? Like I feel like so they had this deal, man, and John actually told me about it. If you traded in an Xbox One, period, end of sentence, and you put it towards the purchase of a Nintendo Switch, it was, this was at GameStop, uh, they automatically gave you a $200 credit. Jeez. Which, which, if you consider that on launch week, the Xbox One was $399. I think it ended at, like, what, $299 was the, the final price on... That sounds right. I, it's been so long. I don't remember. Right. But like what usually if you spend $300 on console, they're giving you like 60 to $80 on trade-in. Sure. They're giving you like the cost of a game, right? It's for, so if you put it directly towards the purchase of a Switch, they gave you $200. So I did that and I ended up getting my Switch and I neglect the shit out of my Switch. Um, but the one thing I know about it, because I know it from the Wii, is that there will be a phase I go through where I won't touch my PC for a while. I'm just going to play the switch. I did that with, uh, mostly the classics collection on the Wii U. Um, and traveling with the switch, dude, I don't care. I hate riding on planes. If I have to take a two hour plane ride and I have a switch, it's worth every penny I spent on it. Even if that plane ride is the only time I use it. Cause fuck flying. Shout out to all my six feet or taller people that hate fucking flying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely don't have that. I don't have an issue with flying, uh, per se. Uh, take off. I'm fine. Flying. I'm fine. It's the landing that scares the hell out of me. The second that we start to descend, I start to feel a little bit sick, but it's, it's whatever. It's just, you know, lowering the elevation. But once the wheels touch down, I'm going crazy internally. I don't know what it is, why I have this fear, but it's always like the worst part of of any flight for me. What if the, the what if like the, the one of the legs snaps off? What if That's something like, happens yeah. to the wheel? What if? How how do we recover from that? What's what's going on? We crash into the runway. What's what what what's our what's our exit from that? I, I just I lose you, it. I don't blame you for that, man. If you think about it, there's three tiny ass like wheel struts that hold all these. And let's be honest, man. There's always a bunch of us fat asses. I say us because I am a fat kid and I don't mind saying it. Uh, there's a bunch of us fat asses on that plane every single time, and I'm thinking like. Yeah, I, I, I hear you on that. For me, it's not an issue of the flight itself. I have no fear of heights. Um, I've flown, you know, I had uh, a parent in Connecticut and a parent for in Florida for 10 years of my life. So I was used to flying uh, back and forth const- constantly, three, four times a year uh, doing that. Um, I just hate the fact because I'm a poor person, I get stuck in the seats that have no leg room. Mm. And mm-hmm. I also have knee injuries and problems that make it so my hamstrings. Like if I sit too long at my computer chair where I can stretch my legs out, I forget to my hamstring goes into a permanent cramp for the rest of the day. There's yeah. nothing I can do about it. So when I'm on a plane, I start to get like 
claustrophobic, but only about my legs. Hmm. Um, that's and, fair. And the fact that like that's that's a medical issue. Yeah. So, so having something that distracts me and keeps me from thinking about it is like it's fucking invaluable to me. Yeah. I, I I won't lie. A large part of why I got it was. Uh, you know, when I got married, we took our honeymoon in Costa Rica and it was a, a six hour plane ride there and back. And, um, yeah, the switch, the switch got me through that. It was just about the only thing that that got me through that. Well, that's good. So with, with, uh, transitioning awkwardly into topics that I, so guys, right before we came live, we were doing that thing where, we were talking, but we're getting much better at, uh, hey, wait for the show. Wait for the show. We'll talk about that during the show. So something that Dale brought up. Dale, was it last night or today that you issued, you threw the gauntlet down? Uh, I, th- I think it was last night. So last night, uh, yeah, it was because I started the run last night. We beat Dark Souls 1. Woo. We're like, what are we going to do? We're, we're like, what are we going to do with our life? That was... That was fucking painful. I hate everything. <laughs> uh, so, you know, obviously the logical solution in that situation is to boot up Dark Souls 3. Go back God, to home. Gonna... Go back to what's familiar. Go back to what's safe. So as I'm playing it, Dale was like, hey, man, let's do a competition. And Throwing down my gloves. <laughs> then, like... We threw a whole bunch of shit at the wall, but I don't know what's stuck yet. Dale, being an intelligent human, went to the world of Reddit and started talking to other Dark Souls players and were like, hey, what are some fun challenge runs to do with like a buddy? And I guess uh, you found a couple. Yeah. You found some things. Yeah. So I had a couple of ideas and I can run. I have like a uh, a bare minimum. So... For full context, let's let's talk about what the challenge is, huh? So, uh, you completed Dark Souls 1. You played Dark Souls 3 originally, went to Dark Souls 1 to play it, to enjoy it, to experience it. Well, we'll put in quotes, enjoy. Um, <laughs> to experience it, to beat it, to get full context for everything that's going to come afterwards. Uh, now you're going through Dark Souls 3 again. And this is your second time going through it, trying up a little bit, something a little bit uh, different, different, trying some different weapons, some different builds, and just familiarizing yourself with it once again. And I had just watched a, uh, excuse me, I just watched a uh, a speedrun race of Pokemon Fire Red Leaf Green. And the thing that I like about Pokemon runs is that there is a main category. Uh, we'll we'll talk about. I guess Leaf Green in particular, there's a main category. You pick a starter and then you go through the game however normally with with whatever route you would go to. One of the special things I like about uh, about Leaf Green is that you can choose one of two starters. You can have a completely different route, a completely different way that you play the game, but they're comparable. The times between the one versus the second kind of run comes in pretty close all things considered for being like a multi-hour uh, speed run and I like races I think races are really cool especially with something as open as Dark Souls where 
you don't have to speed run. You don't have to try to like do things as optimally as possible. But if you want to focus on going fast, you can still try out different builds. You can try out different routes, different uh, weapons, different armor sets, different whatever. And it's going to be different from player to player based on what they like. And still uh, be like relatively even. So I was thinking, okay, let's let's work with that here. Let's get a race going. I don't know Dark Souls 3 as well as I do 1. I don't have the thousands of hours into 3. Uh, I've got maybe like 50 or so more than, than Estan here. It's it's not a whole lot. So we're on pretty even uh, uh, playing ground. And instead of just trying to go, all right, let's go from start to finish the fastest. Let's put in some little uh, objectives here to spice things up. So, going over what I have as the bare minimum for completing the race, what we call, what like, what just beginning and done. We can call it a day. All mandatory bosses to clear game. And then we use the in-game timer to judge what our end time is. That's pretty straightforward. Uh, we complete the game in tiers of time that will award descending amounts of points. If we beat the game in like six hours, it gives us more points than if we beat it in uh, seven hours or eight hours or whatever the end time is going to be, whatever a fair time would be. Uh, that way this makes completing the game quickly viable so we can get those early points in. But then it also makes going out for some bonus objectives that would reward points viable as well. Uh, next up, we need to consume boss souls when obtained, so we're not getting boss items. And we're and if we lose those boss souls for how many ever, like, thousands of souls they give us, they're gone. We can't use them as a backup, and that's kind of risky. And then no glitches and exploits allowed. That's kind of just where, that that's what I consider the bare minimum of things to be. Uh, I was considering adding the rule of not using summons for bosses uh, as bare minimum. Uh, I wanted to get some more feedback on that idea. Uh, I was thinking maybe, maybe for some they're allowed, but it deducts points if we use them uh, instead of just being disbarred completely. But we'll we'll have to like iron out the uh, the balance there. As far as, like, extra stuff, uh, like I was saying earlier, we have, like, extra objectives that we can reach to get extra points, and they'll be divvied up, like, when we actually finish the game. Uh, Dark Souls 3 has different endings. So based on the ending that we get, if we go out for an extra ending, or, like, the, the, the bonus one, uh, it would grant more points. Uh, we have uh, optional bosses that would grant more points. And then we can finish more of those uh, objectives based on the what optional boss we deem. It just kind of like cycles into itself. Uh, completing NPC storylines awards points based on how long and developed they are. Some NPCs in Souls 3 have very easy storylines to just complete and doesn't take much time. Some NPCs have very definitive things that you need to do at this point and no later than that point. And those are going to be the more long and involved ones, and those will offer more points. Completing weapon ascensions give points. So getting a plus 10 weapon, normal weapon, getting the highest twinkling weapon, getting the highest scale weapon, getting the highest whatever um, 
those would factor into, you know, we, we need to go out. We know we need to go out of our way to get the items to, uh, to, to be able to hit those ascent ascension points and then max out weapons. That's taken time away from what we could do to just finish the game. And then, yeah, I opened up to Reddit to see if anyone else had some ideas. Are you ready to hear these? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, one guy said, try soul level one face off versus all bosses. The one with the least total amount of deaths wins. Um, I, I, I appreciate the inputs. I don't think, I think we want to actually like try to have fun with this and not just completely go insane. Uh, a soul level one run would take way, 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 take us way out of the comfort zone for just like a casual friendly race that I think we would, uh, we would both enjoy. But German glasses, I thank you for this idea. KO beat a boss using only a fist weapon. Oh, that's vampire. That's, that's indulging your, uh, your, your, what is that? That thing you like that, that glove weapon you like? The Cestus. The Cestus for the bestest. It's one of my favorite, favorite weapons just for how light it is. It's the perfect offhand weapon because you don't need to worry about using a shield. You can still parry. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, next up, we have a vampire hunter. Beat a boss using only a type of whip. Uh, like Castlevania. Uh, we've got Perry Kong. Beat a boss only through parries. Mighty Glacier. Beat a DLC boss while fat rolling. Sixth Sense. Beat a boss without rolling, sprinting, or blocking. Jow Wait, Jolly how Fellow. Do, you do that? You walk. You kite, and you walk, and you block, and you know exact... Sorry, not block. Um, You kite... Uh, use the terrain to your advantage and just walk around. There is some insane stuff that people are able to do. Or it could even do stuff like, uh, uh, what is it? Stone flesh? Um, it's a pyromancy that makes it so, uh, you have like really high defense, but you can only, I think it's only slow walk. Um, it gets, it gets pretty interesting. Uh, we have uh, bu, 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 bu. the other, the last three are, uh, all invasion based or like PPP based. And I don't think we'll really go along that route. Cause that could be kind of random and, um, and risky, uh, jolly fellow help defeat a boss as a gold phantom red menace win an invasion as a red invader and traitor Lord win an invasion as a mad phantom while killing at least one invader. And I mean, I'm, I live for the mound makers. I'm, I'm all for those mad phantoms. I like those ideas, maybe for something else, but not for just like a regular PVE race. So something that I really like that was brought up really early on, cause I didn't understand that that's where you were thinking at. It actually makes me even more excited for this is I would like the idea of there being windows of time that you could finish in that are worth set amount of points, whether you are in the quickest one second or the slowest one second if it's in this window of time because if we're talking about minutes mattering right like 
fractions of a minute mattering. I'm not going to explore as much of this cool, fun stuff as possible. Mm-hmm. But if we say finishing between six hours to seven hours is this many points. If finishing between seven hours and eight hours is this increment lower. And then eight hours to nine hours is this increment lower. But the increments are less that we would lose within each spot than a fun objective to go after would like I want it to kind of be worth it to go out of the way. Exactly. So I don't I don't know exactly how the point scale will work, but like for instance, if you know, um the fastest time we could possibly get was like the, f- the first window was like 20 points if you beat it in this fastest window. 15 points for the next, 10 points, 5 points, no time re- reward after X point. But yet, if you chase this bonus objective, it's worth more than 5 points. So therefore, like that time I lose doesn't feel like as much of a punishment. Mm-hmm. However... Finishing in that 20-point frame is way different than finishing in that 5-point frame. So time still matters, but, like, go chase the fun, too. Exactly. That's that's what I want. That Like, that just made me even more excited for this, this idea that... Um, because if it, I think it was just straight-up speed. We were talking about this as I was playing before the, uh, the Strem. Um, there's little things I forget to do like running when I'm in open space, um, you know, just holding down the run button is, is something I forget to do. Uh, and that could cost over the course of a whole run. That could probably cost me, you know, 20, 30 minutes of time just from not running down a hallway that if you guys have ever watched Dale play, I don't think he knows how to do anything but run in <laughs> dark. Souls. <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, uh, the the entire intent was to make speed still matters. It, it, I, it's going to be a bold-faced lie to say that it doesn't matter um, if you're not trying to go fast, because it is a race. We want to see who's able to do what first in what amount of time. But it also does matter to try and what, like optimize what encounters you can get uh, how many bonus points you can get in an allotted amount of time. And I think like having having like a, a good degradation, uh, like a good fall off between having like a, we'll say uh, like a five hour time of just beating the game is like a hundred points. And then being the game in like, I don't know, uh, 10 hours, double the time is like 25 points because that means you get all the other objectives that can potentially amount to more than that. And if we're able to get those objectives while still doing it really fast, that's an even bigger payoff. The trade-off being like the amount of time it takes you to do the objectives, go to all these different areas and just everything else. The thing I think is going to be fun is, is also, you know, cause we, we share quite a few viewers that support us when we, uh, where we play Dark Souls, you know, if people that are fans of the game, um, bounce between us when we when we stream it. I'm just excited to to stream some of my practice for it, and to kind of get people on the the hype train with us, 
Um, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of like a way to get the viewers involved uh, in the sense of doing some sort of a poll or, or something because we've been trying to get that. Listen, I'm terrible at Twitter, guys. Um, I'm terrible at Twitter, but I've been trying to get our, our Twitter active. Uh, and I just I'm, I'm bad at Twitter as a social media. Um, Dale is far better at it. Uh, slimy boy over great. there. <laughs> at least you post something probably once every other day. I'm like, oh, it's been a week. I should probably mention something. <laughs> I didn't even post that we were going live just now on, on our Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm bad at it, man. Straight up. But I, I think it would be fun to have, you know, various different um, polls and votes. And I would even be up for the idea of offering some sort of reward for people that are participating in these polls and votes, you know, like, um, once we get the objectives kind of doing like a pick them for people to have, uh, maybe rewards points in our chats, guys, I'm spitballing this live. Um, you know, I, I think it'd be fun if like 5,000 channel points gets you a, a pick them and you go through and you say, Dale, seven and a half hours or however we decide to break up the, the time. Dale, seven and a half hours, uh, three bonus bosses, blank, blank, and blank, uh, plus 10 thrusting weapon. I don't know, guys. I'm just throwing it out there. And Ooh, if you make the difference between like what the type of weapon is, dude, that's cool. I like that idea. And having, having that as a poll that people could, can, uh, vote on or, or get involved in, in this pick them. Um, if somebody hits, or if multiple people hit, we'll do it as like a lottery. I wouldn't mind putting up some sort of a prize for that. Um, I'm thinking like a, a steam card or a gifted game. If you don't have, if ideally I would like somebody that doesn't have dark souls to win it. So we could gift you a copy of this game that, uh, by the way, we are no longer about board games and nerdy content. We are strictly a dark souls podcast. <laughs> I mean, but, it's, you know, th- it's, it's the big thing, right? It's, it's, I say this all the time. It's a very personal thing that people can can go through and start to like identify with. And it if it clicks, it clicks. It can take up a lot of your a lot of your time. Well, yeah, that's just it, man. It's like it's one of those gifts that keeps on giving. There's so many things you could do within the game, and you know, I've always kind of talked about what I'm watching, what I'm reading, what I'm playing. And for the past three months, what I'm playing has pretty much just been one version or another of dark souls. And and it's because of how rewarding the game can be and how much fun. I think what might hook me way more than the game is the lore. And then the way that the community interacts with the lore we've talked about, you could go see like our past four episodes uh, where we pretty much just talk about dark souls on this podcast and nothing else. Um, But if somebody hasn't experienced that yet, I would like you to give it a go. And if you, if you could participate in a way that I could justify handing you a copy of that, you know, I think that'd be cool. You already have this pre-built community of dudes that are excited about it. That would love for you to experience it. And trust me, Dale and I would love to talk to you about your experience with it. If I had it my way, I, I, so John, our John, um, our John, it's like we share, we're, we're, we we he's we have a joint he's our child <laughs> he's our shared child um i am the primary 
custodian of him and, and you get him, you know, every other weekend and uh, whenever you're playing Sekiro. Uh, but, you know, he went in and, and his first uh, Souls-like game was Sekiro and mm-hmm. he liked it and he had a great time with it. And I really think, I don't think he'd like one at all, um, but I think he would love three. I can't get him to play it for the life of me, but I'm looking for people outside of Dale to talk to about this. And that could be you. And I don't say that as an insult to Dale, but Dale could back me up on this. No two people play dark souls or think about dark souls the same way at all. And then, and that's what makes it cool. So as we're doing the run, it'd be really awesome to get you guys involved in some way, shape or form. Um, I might even I might even have my chat, Dale, once we see the list, those that know Dark Souls, I might have my chat help me pick my path. Like a legit, like a legit strat. They're gonna be like my war console. You know, we're <laughs> gonna, my my council's gonna sit there. We're gonna be like, all right, Dale Dale skill wise is better oh, than us. But there's certain bosses that Dale struggled on that I one shot it. Your facts. <laughs> can we utilize that? Can we can we manipulate that and, and use it to our advantage? All right, Raven, go back to Dale's stream. Tell me what he sucks at. <laughs> uh, the game. <laughs> I I will say uh, to to continue on uh, our Dark Souls podcast here. Um, after playing one and coming back. Holy shit, is every single enemy ever on Dark Souls 3 easy? Yeah. Yeah. I remember when you used to get frustrated with me because I rolled everywhere. Now I am flat out pissed when somebody makes me roll. Like the Black Knight, <laughs> the Black Knights that won't let you rotate around them because they they want to shield bash you as you try to go stab them in the butt. Like they anger me because they make me have to roll. I don't ever want to roll again. Yeah. I uh, I have so many mixed feelings because one Dark Souls 1 is my favorite of the Souls games for a very specific reason. Um I like the way it controls, I like the I like the world. I like I I just like playing it. Playing it feels personally satisfying. And whether that's because I've put thousands of hours into it already and it's just what I know the best or because it just has a personal nostalgic feel for me, whatever, that's it, it's it, it's how it is. I will fully admit it's clunk and why people don't like it. Like I, I, I get it. It, it. it makes perfect sense. But I definitely urge people to at least try it pick it up and stick through with it and play it as their first Souls game. So when they go to Dark Souls 2, when they go to Dark Souls 3, when they go to Bloodborne, everything just clicks a lot better. I -hmm. think in 3, especially in 3, it has a much higher skill floor than Dark Souls 1 does by a land mile. I think 1 is so much easier to get into and a lot harder to play. Three is a lot harder to get into, but easier to play. I think what one did a good job of, and I think this is why I'm a better player of three as a result, 
Three doesn't do much to teach you the mechanics of the game. Mm-mm. One, one does, and it will punish you for hours for refusing to learn the mechanics of it. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you could cheese in three and get away with never having to learn a mechanic of. Um, I think of the final fight in one. If I have to say spoiler alert at this point, you're either A, something that we just made a Dark Souls fan, or B, you are never going to play Dark Souls ever. Um, <laughs> I spent an hour on Gwen, the final boss of Dark Souls. And Dale was like, just parry him. Just, just fucking parry him. But still, that's like the thing I am the worst at. So I tried it. I missed. And that was the only effort I gave it. Now I went back to it to, again. I went back to all the things I know. Uh, sorted board. Um, dodgy rolly boy. Spam healer. And for an hour, I got absolutely annihilated. The second I did the thing I was supposed to do and began parrying, I think I beat him in less than a minute. Yeah. And it was pretty close to that. But the idea of this is what you should have learned. Did you learn it? Bad boy. Go learn it. Come back. Did you learn it? No? Okay. I'll see you in 45 minutes. Oh, you're still <laughs> slamming your head against the wall, huh? Are you ready to learn now? Yeah. I guess I'll try parrying again. Oh, good job, buddy. Look <laughs> at you. You can wipe your own ass. Good job. It feels... You know, I always got the idea... That I don't think that Gwyn was designed purposefully to be parried like that was the intended strategy. It feels like when you play an old nest game and if you figure out an easy alternative way to take out the boss that the uh, like there were no instructions for, there are no hints for, but the devs included it. That's what I feel that pairing Gwyn is. It Mm -hmm. rewards you for trying. And I'm pretty sure I've talked about this in a previous episode, but like Miyazaki intended Dark Souls, the whole like Souls series, to be the kind of game that you talk about with a community to share secrets, to share those hidden passageways, to share some tips and strategies for bosses. And I feel like that was one of the most iconic things to come out of Souls 1. Uh, back when it went back when it first came out that holy shit you could you could parry Gwen what what that... yeah it was imagine well, like t- you, imagine you beat Gwen you two three four hours you're trying to just like block his attacks he's grabbing you he's throwing you around he's he's dashing all across the the arena and you, you you're all covered in scars and you're war torn and and have heavy hearted you you beat the game. You go online to Reddit and you're like, guys, I just spent I the last it. four hours taking on Gwyn. Are you proud of me yet? And the one guy's like, wow, you know, you, you know, you could have just parried him, right? And you're like, my entire world is flipped, turned upside down. What? I need to go back and play this game again. That's that's the I kind of feeling so, that. I was so salty, but like in a good way when I figured <laughs> the whole parry thing out, you know? But to your point about talking as a community, I think that's evident in the messages. Like, right? You cannot see other players within the world in real time. You can see their failures, which I think is interesting. 
mm-hmm. uh, with the bloodstains, right? You could you could see their failures. Um, you could call them in for help, or you could communicate with them. As brutal and unforgiving as Dark Souls is, holy, I'm like realizing this in real time, guys. Think about what I just said. The devs included the ability to learn and communicate from each other. You touch a bloodstain, you can see how somebody else failed, and you can learn from it. People could leave you a message to let you know how they succeeded or how you could succeed. It's up to you whether you want to read them or not, but I could leave them for you. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm just really freaking stuck, I could look for a summon sign and pull somebody in to help me beat what I'm stuck with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's all about... It, I bet you that's why the Dark Souls community is as strong as this. I guess that's why there's people as enthusiastic about it and we'll spend six podcast episodes talking about the same game and playing it for two, three months at a time. Um, and these challenge runs, man, I'm actually excited to get, get good. Um, so, you know, if I lose this one, let's go back to, uh, when we were talking about controllers guys and my, um, affinity for feeling like I'm going to break controllers, you know, cause I'm a competitive dude and I just like to be competitive. You do realize if I lose to Dale in this challenge, we are going to have to continue to do challenges until I beat Dale. And then we're going to ignore every loss that came before that victory. And we're only going to reference the victory and that's it. Sounds right. Sounds right. Oh, man. I'll try not to um, lose on purpose for you. <laughs> so so I just want to put quick thoughts out there, Dale. We, we're doing that thing where I went over the 60-minute mark like we usually do, and my goal of an hour or less podcast ends up being an hour and a half. But um, I was really, for the first time ever, watching videos today. I want to know if you have an opinion, a stance, or your level of care slash concern for Cyberpunk 2077. Ooh, um, Keanu Reeves is in it. That's 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 cool. Um, I don't have much of an opinion on it. Um, it looks pretty. I like the cyberpunk aesthetic. I've always loved the cyberpunk aesthetic since like middle school or something when I was an edgy little young one. Uh, it's fine. It it deals with like the the CD underground like black marketness of cyberpunk society it, it's not a huge thing that I I I I deal with that I I vibe with but it's by a CD project red right they're known for the witcher and I've yet to play witcher 3 so I'm kind of talking on my ass here but it's lauded as being this great RPG that millions and millions of people love with expansive wide storylines and characters and uh cyberpunk's being taken from like the tabletop uh, rp uh setting and thrown into a game with some like tender love and care so on that hand i'm really excited for it i'm really excited to see how it's going to play out how it's going to be recepted the fact that they've delayed it to make sure that they get it out with all the intention it deserves the unfortunately they had to go into crunch for like the last six days i think uh, to meet their current deadline, it's. I don't. I don't have like major opinions one way or the other, but 
I definitely hope that it succeeds. I'm very curious to see what it holds. I think a shadow run meets yep. Borderlands, the game. Um, I watched about 30 minutes of videos. Um, every video that the steam, uh, previews had to offer, um, the gameplay trailer that they had there, I was not at all impressed with the graphics. Um, I thought a few of the cutscene character models looked great. I thought the in-game graphics looked uh, very Overwatchy, um, which is all well good. You don't have to be realistic in, in everything you do, um, but I have hopes for the game because as a fan of Shadowrun, I want it to do well so that I can experience it, play it, and enjoy it. Uh, but I think it's going to be another one of those much was promised. And I think it's going to have a lot of breath. I don't think it's going to have a lot of depth. And I hope, I hope, I want this to be known. My energy is going towards the opposite. I want it to be a great game because I want to experience a great cyberpunk game. I want it to be good. I don't have high hopes for it right now. We'll have to watch more news on that as it, you know, gets closer and closer to uh, release. But I just wanted your initial thoughts. And I got them. Yeah. And we'll have to see where that goes. All Tell right, Dale. I, I've got souls to go collect, man. You know, like you ever just want to go slay a dragon or a pile of sludge that's in the shape of a worm? Uh, yeah. Um. You know, so that that's kind of where I'm at. Um, guys, look for the challenge. Dale's gonna be streaming. We're we're both gonna be streaming it as we're doing it. We're gonna try to sync up the play sessions, um, so that you can watch side by side. And I know I'm gonna be streaming my practice runs. I'm not gonna try to hide anything from Dale. As a matter of fact, I might show him some fake strats. Um, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I might just put some stuff out there, make him feel all secure. Who knows? Maybe those 15 deaths today I had on Vort were all part of the plan to raise oh, his confidence. You know, <laughs> that's 100% what that was. In reality, what Dale doesn't know is that previously I went early dancer and one shot at her. Um, he just didn't see that because I wanted to hide that from him. But uh, I got some work to do. He might have thousands of hours in Dark Souls 1, but Ray, here's my gauntlet being thrown on the table. I think I'm the superior three player. Yeah, maybe. You definitely played wow. more than I have recently, so I don't contest that. Wow. Let's go. <laughs> Dale, if folks want to see you die 200 times um, in two hours, where can they find you at? They can find me over at Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Heyitsdale. H-E-Y-Y-I-T-S-D-A-L-E. He has a Twitter handle by the same. He actually updates it at least once a week, unlike me. Guys, you can find the podcast Twitter. And I'd really like your help. Like, add us, do something, wake me up, make me actually be a twit. Um, we're over at at board underscore nerdy. They want to take the ant. I don't know why. Go talk to Twitter. At board underscore nerdy. You can find me at twitch.tv 
slash sdanthelegend. And until we see you guys next time, please do indeed stay gold. <laughs>